0: The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany. dot org. Welcome everybody to this um, late morning's meeting of um, fascism: what it is and how to fight it um, of the um, Socialist Student Conference 2010. Uh, Sean Harkin will be our speaker this morning. Um, he's a uh, long-time activist in Chicago um, in the immigrant rights movement as well as the labor movement. Uh, so he'll be give us an introduction um, on the topic, and then after that, there'll be plenty of time for discussion. Thanks. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to make any judgments on the people who turned up at uh, 11.30 Saturday morning for a meeting on fascism. Uh, <laughs> here's your character. Um It's not necessarily the best way to spend a Saturday morning, uh, but, uh, so, okay, um, so this talk's called Fascism, what it is, and and how to fight it, Um, uh, and I just want to start out talking a bit about um, why I think this is such an important issue to discuss. Uh, The Nazi regime uh, in Germany, uh, between 1933 and 1945, brought hard uh, into the world on a scale that's really actually impossible to comprehend on many many levels um, they detonated the single biggest military conflict in human history that led to the death of 55 million people in addition to that um, 6 million Jews were coldly butchered in the most deliberate uh, campaign of uh, extermination using the most the greatest scientific methods that capitalism had, had developed up to the the time along with 6 million Jews uh, the Nazis killed 2.5 million Poles uh, half a million uh, Gypsies uh, over 400,000 Russian prisoners of war um, 100,000 people with mental and physical uh, illnesses who the Nazis deemed uh, inferior uh, were were also murdered along with tens of thousands of communists, socialists trade union activists and gays anybody that they deemed Different, uh, they, they uh, you, you know, obviously they slaughtered in, in, uh, in uh, to the uh, tune of millions, uh, and the enormous scope of the crimes that uh, the Nazis committed is really, on one level, defies, uh, you know, rational analysis. But I think that we have to attempt to understand it, uh, and we have to under- attempt to understand why it happened, uh, to ensure that it never happens again. Um, and unfortunately, uh, there are those now in society that seek to emulate fascism and the Nazi disease in Europe and I'm sure people are aware there's going to be a talk later this evening on the rise of the right in Europe Um, there are fascist organisations are growing uh, there are overt Nazi or fascist organisations and there are more covert elements as well and they're seeking to really exploit the bitterness of neoliberal policies throughout Europe and the disappointment people have had with social democratic and labour parties uh, uh, and also with the mainstream parties and they're also attempting to tap into resentment against immigrants in Europe in many ways similar to the United States with the resentment directed at uh, our Mexican brothers and sisters but the, the target uh, in, in Europe is Muslims um, so it really fits as well with the mainstream uh, war and terror uh, so that's where you know, the perspective of the ruling class or the elites allows uh, Nazi elements the most far-right elements Uh, to grow and to to push forward their ideas and aims and goals Um, so the the fascist onslaught of the 20s and 30s uh, wasn't inevitable Um, Mussolini, Hitler, Franco could have been stopped Um, and the lessons of the 20s and 30s both negative and and the the things that the resistance fighters did that were positive have to be learned today so that we make sure as Daniel Guerin, uh, the author of a book called *The Brown Plague*, which is fantastic. It's his travels in in fascist Germany right after Hitler took power there. And he also wrote a great book called uh, *Big Business and Fascism*, that's really excellent in terms of documenting the relationship between the biggest German corporations and the fascist movement. He's, he called it *The Brown Plague*. We have to make sure that, um, uh, uh, that we have to put light on it, so that it never, it can never uh, rear its head again. Um, And to understand fascism, I think it's necessary to look at a number of issues. How it was shaped by imperialism and capitalist crisis. I think we have to look at what the aims are of the fascist movement, whether they're real or imaginary. Um, I think we have to look at who joined uh, the fascist movement, who organized it, uh, who benefited from fascism, and crucially, what are the strategies that we can utilize to stop its reemergence. And in particular, I want to use as a, a guideline in this talk, Uh, But uh, the ideas and arguments of Leon Trotsky for people who don't know Trotsky was a leader of the Russian revolution Um, but uh, he had been by the early 30s he had been exiled uh, because of his opposition to Stalin's corruption of international socialism but he did write a lot about uh, what was happening in Italy and what was happening in, uh, in Germany as well unfortunately his ideas although if you read them today they're absolutely brilliant they went mostly unheeded because the Trotskyist movement really wasn't strong enough to dictate and direct uh, you know, the, the arguments that Trotsky was putting, putting forward um, so today fascism is sometimes used by people on the left to describe all, to describe all forms of uh, reactionary politics and movements for example George Bush is a fascist or a pre-fascist Arizona is now a fascist state Obama's a fascist or maybe it's Glenn Beck says that but Glenn Beck is maybe a fascist but he calls the liberals a fascist because we disagree with the right for racists to be able to speak out to fuel their hatred and racism you know the Tea Party is, is fascist um, and I think it's all in the sense that people are mainly expressing, did a light just go out there? Yeah. that's not a good sign <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fascinating <massive. laughs> very good I okay um, who is trying to disrupt this talk seriously um, so, but, so but people are often mainly just trying to describe their alarm and disagreement with things that they dislike and, and oppose um, and then sometimes as we know uh, it's used to cajole people into voting for the lesser evil, the democratic party every November every November Every November, this November, because we have to elect the lesser evil. Um, so, but I, but I think so. I think the starting point has to be that um, all capitalism is reactionary. I mean, Marx talked about the emergence of capitalism and it's, it was a revolutionary system that you know allowed the, 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 the created the basis for uh, socialism. But he also talked about how it came to be came into life dripping with blood, uh, you know, slavery. Colonial uh, violence, everything else that, that was. So, capitalism really has always been about war, violence, oppression, and brutality. But Marxists have argued um, that, there, that fascism represents a specific form of capitalist reaction, and that the particular danger fa- fascism presents means that we should actually take some care in describing what fascism is. Um, and really, the lack of clarity um, on the question and the role of fascism in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, it was one of the reasons why the opposition had, because millions of people opposed it but it was one of the reasons why the, the opposition wasn't, wasn't as effective as it needed to be Stalin for example argued that quote <laughs> yeah, <okay>. um, <laughs> fascism is the bourgeoisie this is Stalin fascism is the bourgeoisie's fighting organisation that relies on the active support of social democracy social democracy is objectively the moderate wing of fascism these organisations do not negate but supplement each other they are not antipodes but twins so what Stalin is saying here is that there's really no difference between social democracy that millions of European workers support because they see themselves as socialists and that's their party and fascism so that's the that was the view that um, Stalin took and that was the view that unfortunately dominated the thinking and the activities of uh, millions of workers who looked at the communist parties of Europe uh, for political direction. Trotsky had a different view. In 1931 he argued the common to power of national socialism, socialists would mean first the extermination of the flower of the German proletariat, the destruction of its organisations, the eradication of its belief in itself and in its future, Uh, considering the far greater maturity and the acuteness of social contradictions in Germany, the hellish work of Italian fascism would probably appear as a pale and almost humane experiment in comparison comparison with the work of the German National Socialists and Trotsky went on to draw this distinction between fascism and other forms of uh, capitalist dictatorship he said capitalism is not merely a system of reprisals of brute force and of police terror fascism is peculiar." (laughs) governmental system based on the uprooting of all elements of proletarian democracy within bourgeois society. To this end, the physical annihilation of the most revolutionary sections of the workers' movement does not suffice. It is also necessary to smash independent and voluntary organisations to demolish all defensive bulwarks of the proletariat and uproot and the trade trade union struggle. Um, so that's that's why Trotsky was so alarmed at the rise uh, rise of fascism Um, so what I want to try and do right now is go through some uh, put forward some ideas that help to define fascism uh, and uh, and then talk about the rise of Italian and German fascism and finish by trying to go through uh, the the resistance to it Um, I think we have to look at fascism as a product of monopoly capitalism Uh, modern capitalism is dominated by the merger of industrial and financial capital where power becomes increasingly concentrated and centralised in the hands of fewer and fewer uh, massive economic actors and that that becomes integrated more and more with private capital Um, so the private capital becomes integrated with the state and then nation states Uh, must expand beyond their own borders uh, to find raw materials, to find markets uh, and so (coughs) on to increase the the level of surplus value and profit. And of course this process of monopoly capitalism leads to war and the crisis and imperialism. Um, And as we know crisis is intrinsic to capitalism and so fascism really has emerged as an extreme pro-capitalist response to crisis um, though fascists claim that they're, that they're revolutionaries and some academics actually now based on a kind of straightforward reading of what fascists write themselves even though I think the mass of contradictions if you try to understand fascist ideology it's very difficult because it's just a hodgepodge of reaction different ideas suited to kind of like winning people over rather than they actually explain what they, what they stand for um so, they, uh, they, they might claim that they're aiming to create a new kind of society, um, but in practice, fascism has actually left the social order, the capitalist social order, order more or less intact. Um, what fascism attempts to do is that it attempts to destroy all internal divisions in society by attempting to uh, you know, uh, atomize the working class. And by doing this, uh, fascism can perfect capitalist exploitation and develop the national economy. Uh, and prepare it for conflict with other nation states in the drive in the drive for em- empire. Um, so we know that fascism has used kind of anti-capitalist or anti-corporate rhetoric, um, but it doesn't aim to end, end capitalism. But to really integrate the working class. Uh, and all, all of society into the drive uh, for profit dominated by the biggest, the biggest uh, corporations or interests in society uh, fascism does target uh, sections of capital that are perceived, perceived to be acting against the national interest um, or you know, are acting against the whole, the whole nation um, and o- obviously they also target groups of people in society Jews, immigrants, socialists, communists that they perceive to undermine the goals of the nation state and the great drive towards uh, imperial glory. Um, So what fascism aims to do is it aims to discipline the whole society, creating an army barracks atmosphere uh, and the drive towards economic and imperial expansion. And anybody that stands in the way of national greatness is a traitor to the nation state. Um, So fascist movements, uh, they can become popular movements um, because they grow out of crisis and they promise all sorts of things to different groups of people, uh, a livelihood, a job, uh, the end of crisis, the end of turmoil in society um, But the, and it can attract working class support um, but what I want to argue and I think what Trotsky argues really well is that the, the class basis of fascism is not the working class, um, it's not, but it's the petty bourgeoisie or really exists between the two great classes of modern uh, capitalism the means of producing and owning uh, you know, ruling class, uh, and then the and the working class. Um, fascism really tried to speak to and appeal to the little man, and this was part of Hitler's not genius, but his understanding about how ravaged and how much despair existed amongst that layer in society. Uh, so the little man is caught between uh, the power of big capital and the power of the organised working class. Trotsky um, argued that uh, fascism unites in arms the scattered masses out of human dust it organises combat detachments it thus gives the petty bourgeoisie the illusion of being an independent force it begins to imagine the petty bourgeoisie or the middle class that it can really command the power of the, of the state so who's the middle class um, I would argue that the middle class is made up of small business owners professionals, state functionaries police officers, army officers uh, that layer of society that is not not part of the you know uh, you get the idea. Small businesses. Uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to just say doctors. I'm not saying all doctors. are Fascists I have no idea what the history of doctors and fascism and socialism actually is. And I don't want to insult anyone in the room if you're a doctor. Um, uh, but essentially, uh, the layer of society who's a step above the working class but doesn't belong to the ruling class. So it's an insecure class. Um, and what happens is capitalist crisis and competition drives that section of society into bankruptcy because competition will drive the small business out of existence push declass them and push them down into the ranks of the working class and this is unacceptable because it means your whole status in society is completely destroyed um, as power becomes increasingly crisis usually leads to the mergers, concentration of power and wealth in the hands of fewer and fewer uh, corporations so the middle class lacks social power unlike the organised working class which can fight collectively and challenge the profit logic um, and defend itself during the crisis, even if it does it in a flawed way, unions can actually attempt to stop uh, the worst excesses of austerity measures Uh, the middle class doesn't have any bulwark to do that Um, so that's why Trotsky argued that the petty bourgeoisie was driven to despair, and this is is what again just a quote from Trotsky, he talks about this on the scales of election statistics, a thousand fascist votes weigh as much as a thousand communist votes. But on the scale of revolutionary struggle, a thousand workers in one big factory represent a force a hundred times greater than a thousand petty officials, clerks, their wives and their mothers-in-law. Um, the great bulk of the fascists com- consists of human dust. So I- this, is a, this is a class that doesn't have a collective consciousness, it's much more individualised. Um, it's not inevitable that this section society can be can be won over to, to fascism. Um, if the working class movement is strong enough, it can win the workers over the or the middle class over the revolutionary revolutionary socialism. But it means that the, the working class has to offer a way out of capitalist crisis. Um, um, and you know, in Germany, 1923, uh, more and more of the middle class began to actually vote for the Social Democrats uh, and looked to the socialists as putting an end to kind of the tragedy of the first world war an end of the economic crisis uh, and bringing about you know, a different kind of society the middle class was diso- became disillusioned because the social democrats and the communists didn't take power um, so they, they, they kind of left the social democrats because of the, the failure of, of uh, the, you know, the revolutionary movement they actually changed change society it wasn't decisive enough um, the middle class social weight and the ability to lead so, ultimately, the middle class will follow whatever the strongest of the two and most decisive of the two major classes are. That's the working class or the ruling class. Um, the, the fascist movement does recruit, has recruited, is recruiting amongst workers. Uh, from everything that I've read, uh, the, the, the workers that do join the fascist movement are usually those workers that are most isolated from uh, collective organisation, uh, you know, labour parties, socialist parties. Um, and the, the fascist movement does also has also in its history recruited from um, the unemployed, uh, you know, workers that are completely isolated, uh, demoralised, uh, more prone and open to right wing arguments or ruling class arguments about how society is organised. You know, racism. They're not part of collective struggle where those ideas are challenged and broken down, and people get a sense of of collective working class power. So they recruited heavily. Uh, out of the desperation of the un- unemployed. Um, um, again, this is not not an inevitable process because the unemployed are part of the working class and can be won over to the struggle for revolutionary socialism. Um, fascism, though some people might think it, has never emerged as a capitalist conspiracy, meaning that it that it actually has a, its own independent logic. Um, it's not just you know a big corporation just says right we need to have this. Side organisation. That's going to be your job to kind of start it off. Um, so not Eileen, obviously. Um, but that, but that uh, it, it key. Well, that the fascist movement, their growth um, and taking power, has ultimately depended on the support of the, the ruling class, um, and has relied on the growth and emer- emergence of fascist movements have relied on sympathy from the state, the police, and the army. Um, and again, yeah, it's only when the ruling class has decided that the, the way forward that they they have to, you know, they can't do things in in, in the normal way that they have to look to a fascist a uh, fascist movement, the defend capitalism. Um, fascist movements have used utilized, they have utilized parliamentary democracy. Uh, Hitler was elected into power. Uh, fascist movements have grown using elections to broadcast their goals and aims and increase the strength of the movement and to win respectability and legitimacy, see we're like all the other mainstream parties, we run candidates Uh, we're very very clever about what we say, we say one thing for an election but if you come to one of our meetings you're told it's only white people that can join this organisation and that everybody else is scum um, and I think that they've got even smarter at doing that because of the association of fascism and Nazism with the, with the, the barbarism of the Second World War um, but fascism aims to destroy all forms of uh, parliamentary democracy when Mussolini won power in Italy he said that fascism represented extreme anti-democracy um, and immediately when taking power they targeted the socialists and communists uh, on the basis that they represented a threat to the integrity of the state um, uh, but, uh, but once in power, fascism went after all the political parties, um, the right-wing parties, the you know the mainstream parties, uh, because the goal was to unite the nation as a single unity unit, uh, a single entity that, that can't allow you for differences of opinion. Uh, all shades of opinion have to disappear if the whole society is to be integrated with the goals of the state. Uh, And this again is why fascism becomes the most ruthless form of uh, the dictatorship of of capitalism. And Trotsky writes, The compulsory concentration of all national resources and interests of imperialism is true historic. It brooks no internal resistance and leads further to the mechanical uh, concentration of power. Um, So from the emergence of capitalist society... The capital, or you know, modern capitalism. The ruling class has preferred uh, bourgeois parliamentary democracy. Um, you know, I think that people feel they can vote their elected representatives. They have a stake in the, what society looks like. Um, there's the there's the idea that we all we all have a similar opinion or right to what happens to determine what happens in society. Um, thank you. Um, uh, so the dictatorship of capital under normal times exists behind, as we know, the veil of uh, the veil of elections, freedom, civil society. <coughs> um, however, capitalism doesn't really need, uh, you know, parliamentary democracy to, to exist. It can coexist with, you know, authoritarian rule or or democratic rule. Um, And the capitalist class, again, has turned to uh, fascism because it's a mass movement capable of breaking down and destroying uh, the political independence uh, and the cohesion of the working class. It's really been a battering ram against uh, working class resistance uh, to the logic of uh, capital. With resistance broken, capitalism is able to impose much more easily its needs and demands in society. uh, And fascism has utilised elections, but but it's also, I mean obviously it's utilised street terror as well so the two things that went hand in hand Um, Mussolini's black shirts and Hitler's brown shirts targeted socialists, communists trade union organisations for physical attack, intimidation and ultimately the destruction of their organisations and groups they smashed up socialist meetings Uh, these were the first targets of the the fascists Uh, they they smashed up uh, um, uh, trade union demonstrations uh, and because the fascists are uh, ideologically motivated and not bound by any form of legality, I mean, they're not hired by the state, uh, it means that they are actually more effective at going after groups that the ruling class deem, uh, they kind of wish these groups wouldn't exist because they get in the way of the things that we want to try and push through in society. So that made them even more effective than regular police. Um, in in, in going after class organization. Uh, in in 1932 to quote Trotsky again he argued that um, the historic role of fascism begins when uh, from the perspective of the ruling class the period of halfway measures is passed in order to try and find a way out uh, the bourgeoisie must absolutely rid itself of the pressure exerted by the workers organisations these must be eliminated destroyed and utterly crushed Uh, For the monopolistic bourgeoisie, the parliamentary and fascist regimes represent only different vehicles for domination. At the moment when normal police and military resources of the the bourgeois dictatorship, together with their parliamentary screens, no longer suffice to hold society in the state (coughs) of equilibrium, uh, the turn to the fascist regime arrives. Through through the fascist agency, and again this is still a quote from Trotsky, uh, capitalism sets in motion the masses of crazed petty bourgeoisie and the bands of declassed, demoralised lumpen proletariat, and all the countless uh, human beings who, who finance capital itself has brought the desperation and the frenzy. Uh, so what Trotsky is describing there is basically the reasons why fascism, uh, you know, uh, the ruling class would turn to a fascist organisation and the, the the logic of the middle class believing that they're acting in their own interests, but they're actually behind their backs, acting in the interests of finance capital, which, which is the same class uh, that's actually brought them to ruin in the, in the first place. Um, so fascism emerged first in Italy and Germany, uh, and it emerged out of similar conditions world war. Uh, the first world war was disastrous for both Italy and Germany. Um, and in both countries there were revolutionary upheavals. Uh, I think there's a talk right now called the German Revolution. Uh, it's happening next door. Um, and uh, it, and both of those revolutionary struggles put, put socialism on the agenda uh, in both countries. But unfortunately, in neither Italy or Germany did workers seize power like we did in Germany, or sorry, in Russia. <coughs> um, uh, but but the workers' organization still remained intact. Uh, fascism came to power first in Italy in 1922. It was led by Mussolini. Mussolini was a former leader of the Italian Socialist Party. Uh, he founded the fascist movement in 1919. Um, uh, in 19, uh, well, sorry, during the First World War, uh, Mussolini had been a leading member on the left wing of the Italian Socialist Party, but then he argued that, that Italy should enter into the First World War, um, and he got expelled from the Italian Socialists. Um, and he basically came to reject class struggle as a way to change society. He, you know, he didn't believe that workers could transform society, and he began to he be developed this idea of a revolutionary elite. Um, made up of anybody from any social class uh, that would that could lead uh, a strong Italian state back to of the glory of ancient ancient Rome. Um, so that's a bit about uh, Mussolini. Italy um, only became a united country in 1860 uh, and the economy was kind of industrialized in the years leading up to the first world War. Uh, but the, 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 which means that the Italian state was a weak state in relation to the other states in Europe and this was at a time when you had the imperial carve up of the world, Italy wanted to get in on this, the, the Italian ruling class didn't want to miss out, they wanted to have colonies which meant that there was a huge amount of pressure to develop the economy, uh, you know, to have as much profits go to uh, investment in the, the development of the economy rather than the, con- to the consumption of the working class. Uh, which created a tremendous amount of tension inside inside Italy, and there was other tensions as well you know only half the country was industrialized, the whole of the South was kind of left behind. Um, only ten percent of the country spoke you know there, there was, it wasn 't a typical uh, nation state where everybody spoke the same language so it was also, uh, Italy was riven by all sorts of, uh, of uh, uh, tensions, uh, and the war itself uh, really brought these tensions. Uh, in the sharper focus, over 600,000 Italians died in the First World War uh, you know hundreds of hundred thousands or more were permanently disabled um, and it frustrated and retarded the Italian uh, imperial ambitions um, uh, and uh, you know it also it, it meant that, uh, that coming, coming out of the war there was two years of revolutionary upheaval and the, the right wing in the ruling class basically decided that it was the socialists at home the enemy within that had brought about uh, you know, Italian defeat uh, 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 it was the home front that, that laid the basis for the catastrophe um, when the working class didn't seize power over uh, Italian society, that's when the industrialists really struck and that's when they began to fund uh, Mussolini's fascist organisation, they had received from 1919 the fascist <coughs> group that started the National Fascist Party received some funding from the Armaments and industry who kind of agreed with his idea of more war is good so they funded the fascists but it was really after the, the failure of the revolutionary uh, upheaval that the, the big landowners and the big bourgeoisie and the industrialists began to fund and look at the fascist movement uh, 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 uh politics or conventional democracy wouldn't, wouldn't suffice um, I have a whole section here that actually goes through who was in the fascist movement? I don't know if I'm going to go, be able to go through it. Uh, it, it. This is from a couple of cities, uh, uh, Arezzo and Genoa. Um, roughly 50% uh, came from the lower middle class. This is a, kind of a breakdown of who joined the Italian fascist uh, party. Uh, roughly 50% came from the <coughs> lower middle class of shopkeepers and employers. And another 25% was made up of uh, 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 you know, professional classes and students, and then there was many, many ex-soldiers that joined, uh, particularly officers that joined um, the the, um, the fascists as well, and that they resented the working class because the working class had stayed in the factories during the First World War, you know, uh, and now they were going on strike for uh, higher wages, better protections. Ex-soldiers were coming back from the war, brutalised, and seeing these workers struggling. Uh, who didn't fight in the war and were frustrated that where's, where's the benefits for soldiers who went off uh, you know, and put their bodies on the line for the nation state so again this was the, this was the kind of uh, tension, frustration that the fascists really uh, played on and allowed them to recruit from the unemployed and the themes of fascism were really you know, comradeship in the trenches, religion of the fatherland imperialism is eternal and immutable law of life it was all these ideas that kind of spoke the, the national greatness of Italy um, and, and, and so on um, and of course Marxists and trade unions undermined imperial dreams because they undermined uh, the national unity um, and again fascists were very much angry at uh, industrialists who profited during the war um, and you know so Mussolini basically campaigned on, on end and lawlessness and lawlessness of all types Corporations that were profiting, that wasn't going to regular people, socialists that organised strikes, that undermined the war effort, and so on. Um, so that's the way that their, their propaganda, t- propaganda um, their propaganda worked. Uh, you know, when Mussolini's black shirts uh, disrupted workers' meetings, uh, they physically attacked workers, and so on. When Mussolini finally took power uh, in 1922, um, he arrested immediately the, the leadership of the Italian Communist Party. And put many hundreds of communist party members uh, in jail. And within a month, the fascist squads that had, that had been used uh, were basically integrated into the state. By 1925, uh, the part, you know, all democracy was over inside Italy. They'd established the dictatorship, which meant that they also attacked the um, the liberal party, the kind of party of the bourgeoisie, and so on. Um, in 1928, uh, conditions were even more extreme in Germany. Um, At the time, the German working class had the strongest level of organisation in the world. The Social Democratic Party had a million members uh, and they they influenced some five million workers that were part of the trade union movement. The German Communist Party had 130,000 members and the economic slump had hit Germany Germany very, very hard. Um, You know, Wall Street, the crisis in Wall Street meant that a lot of the um, investment that came from the United States dried up into Germany, uh, that the German economy uh, depended on. Unemployment went from from 1.3 million to over 6 million in in, in four years. Uh, And none of the traditional parties seemed to have a way out of the crisis. Um, So the ruling class was demanding massive austerity measures to get out of the crisis. But because the trade union movement was big and strong, it meant that there was this bulwark. Now the trade, the Social Democratic Party was willing to give in, and they were allowed to push through austerity measures. But it wasn't enough slashing the wages, end of unemployment benefits, uh, in order to kind of increase the profitability of the of the German economy. Uh, and Hitler, had fought in the worst first World War, he was completely semi, uh, you know, utter nationalist, um and. Uh, he, uh, he founded the German well he joined a group called the German Workers Party which even though it had the name workers was very nationalistic uh, you know, and, and racist and it was renamed the National Socialist German Workers Party in 1920 <coughs> um, you know, it, had a, it kind of existed through the 1920s but it was not one of the major parties it's, it, did, it did get some funding from sections of capital that thought that it would be useful in the future to have it around um, in the 1928 elections the Nazi party won 2.6 uh, of, the, of the polls but in 1929 the crisis really transformed uh, the fortunes of the Nazi party they, they, you know, their membership went up to 175,000 by, by 1931 it was 800,000 and they had 225,000 paramilitary uh, stormtroopers and those were the people that went out and attacked the uh, tr- you know, trade union meetings the socialist meetings and so on and really intimidated people on the streets um, Hitler's party again utilized elections and street terror and by the end of uh, you know in the 1930 elections the Nazis won 18.3% at the poll by the end of 1933 Hitler was in power, uh, the German communist party had been banned, 130 communists, 130,000 communists were in concentration camps, 2,500 of them had been uh, murdered and Germany was on the road to uh, the, first, the second world war and to the holocaust um, so sorry for condensing that, but I'm just trying to give people a picture of like the scale of the crisis and what, it, what the backdrop looked like. So the question is, could Mussolini and Hitler have been stopped? And the answer is absolutely, without doubt. Uh, first of all, um, been two, uh, there had been two workers' revolts in Germany and Italy uh, in, in the 1920s. And if workers had actually seized power in either of those revolutions, it could have transformed the, the, you know, the last ninety years of our lives. uh, We wouldn't have had the Second World War potentially, and we wouldn't have had the Holocaust. So the stakes are tremendously high here, um, and that's just such a that is such a tragedy. But to go through why that didn't happen is really a different meeting. Um, Fascism, in many ways, is the price of. Uh, the working class not seizing power and transforming it and getting rid of an overthrown capitalism. And in both countries, the working class was organised enough, strong enough to smash capitalism, fascism, but it didn't have the poli- political clarity or the collective unity. Uh, and the, so the, the reasons why fascism, I think, uh, succeeded in Italy and Germany, uh, were were subjective. Um, um, even though the Nazis uh, had grown and seen their support grown. Uh, in the early 30s the communist party seen its support grow as well in, ni- in the 1932 Reichstag elections this is on the eve of Hitler taking power uh, the, the combined vote of the social democratic party and the communist party uh, was even greater than the, the vote of the Nazis so it wasn't like just all workers were fleeing to the Nazi party uh, this was a, a crisis where people were being pushed towards the fascist camp that offered a solution an extreme solution and also to the communists uh, or the Socialist uh, Democratic Party camp as well. So why didn't the working class fight more effectively? I mean, workers did fight. Uh, you know, there was heroic struggles by Communist Party members to try to challenge the Nazis on the streets. But why didn't they organise mass strikes to really break down, you know, challenge capitalism and stop the fascists from taking taking power? So argued that a new late 1920s argued a new wave of revolutionary struggles was about to break out around the globe. Um, And this perspective, as people know it, is called third period. uh, Third period Stalinism or third period perspective. Um, And what Stalin argued and what the Communist International argued, and then it became uh, common across all the Communist parties, was that that social democracy was now social fascism. That there was no difference between fascism, Hitler's kind of fascism, Mussolini's fascism and the social democracy uh, that millions of European workers and elsewhere looked to around around the world Um, and it meant that they refused any collaboration with social democracy which meant that if you were working in a factory for example and the communist party's base was much like the communist party was a party of youth in Germany it had many unemployed workers, it was people who were drawn to like we want a revolution now. We want it to happen immediately. More of the veteran workers that had been through the, you know, two decades of class struggle were rooted in their workplace and their unions. They still looked at the Social Democratic Party uh, as their, you know, as their socialist party, which meant they were still had reformist consciousness. So the communists in some factories basically denounced the Social Democratic workers and said, before we work with you, you have to break from social fascism. And they denounced these workers and workplaces and try to eradicate them out of the unions. So this is utter madness. Instead of trying to work with people collectively, make political arguments, it was uh, sectarianism and denunciations, which was completely, unfortunately and tragically, completely (coughs) ineffective. Trotsky argued that social democracy... Because of its failures, they actually followed through on the things that it promised to do, paved the way and opened the door to fascism. But the the two phenomenons were completely, uh, completely distinct. Um, uh, So, you know, social democracy, as I said, was willing to kind of let capital cut wages and so on, but it wasn't. It didn't want to destroy socialist. uh, You know, it didn't want to destroy itself, so that it didn't exist. Uh, Trotsky argued that the communist party should propose a united front. With the social democrats, um, that would that, that would then allow the mass defence organisations of the working class to unite in a common struggle against against fascism. Um, and he's based, the logic was that uh, even if the social democratic party leaders don't want to don't want to engage in a fight, um, they can be pushed into a fight by pressure from the rank and file that say. You know, there's the danger of fascism. We must we must unite with anybody that's willing to actually take a stand. And there's an urgency to doing this, uh, and so on. Um, and I'm running out of time here. Um, so Trotsky understood that a united struggle uh, could, that repelled the um, the fascist threat wouldn't have to stop there. Workers. Reformist workers, because of working with the communists and seeing the difference between the strategies of reformists and revolutionaries, could actually be won the revolutionary organisation and the need and the need the revolution. So it could be the defeat of fascism could lead to workers having the confidence and the understanding that fascism is a product of capitalism and to rid the world of capitalism, fascism, the fascist threat. We actually need to overthrow uh, capitalism, and this is the this was the process really. The Trotsky and the other Bolsheviks had learned in 1917 when they allied themselves with the social democrats in, in Russia uh, the Kerenskys who were basically trying to get rid of Soviet power but they united uh, the united with them to basically stop the threat of, of, what, of what would have been uh, Russian, Russian fascism uh, the social democrats state their loyalty to the capitalist class and to the state we are a legitimate player, we don't seek to overthrow society by violent or non-constitutional means so they wanted to show how loyal they were to the state they also were afraid that if workers moved into struggle with their agreement that would mean that workers struggle could begin to break out and that they would lose control of, of uh, a rising workers movement that was confident enough to defeat, to defeat the fascists so Trotsky was arguing for a united front policy, a real united front policy where the communist party would go and propose uh, openly uh, a united you know, that's, that's if all the workers combat organizations uh, fight together um, and unfortunately um, that didn't happen um, so, you know again, the, the communist party tragically misdiagnosed the role and the strength of uh, fascism in the 1920s and the early 30s um, they argued that Nazi, Nazism, fascism is simply another form of capitalism uh, reactionary capitalist politics one communist party leader in Germany actually said after, after Hitler it's going to be our turn because the, the base of fascism is so weak that it's going to collapse in on itself so what we have to do is just wait um, if we wait it out uh, we will take power because the process has been social democrats, they're social fascists now a more extreme example of fascism takes over and runs capital society and then it's going to be left up uh, it's going to be our turn to take over take power in society tragically there was no united front uh, policy this weakened the unity of the working class um, again communist party members heroically fought but they were, they were unable to draw on the whole of the working class for a united fight um, and without that the, the fight was ineffective uh, and, and, uh, and every time when the Nazis went on opposed and this is important for us, obviously. When the Nazis went unopposed, that built their confidence. When they went to working class neighbourhoods and weren't challenged and pushed out, and they were allowed to hand out their filthy, racist, uh, anti socialist literature, that built their confidence. So every time they went unopposed, the, the new people that they were trying to draw in the movement, if they weren't uh, physically attacked, confronted, They were. It seemed okay. I can join this movement. There won't be any repercussions. So the need to actually challenge uh, fascism politically and physically, uh, you know, that didn't actually happen. Uh, So, you know, then we then we head into the, you know, obviously what I what I started out with Um, again. I think what it means for us today is that it's important that we learn the lessons of the 1920s and apply lessons wherever possible. Uh, it, it, you know, The neo-fascist and the neo-Nazi movement in the United States is, I would argue, very, very small. Um, but there, there are people who look to those ideas. And as capitalist crisis grows in the United States... Um, you know, people will be looking for different ideas as a way out of the crisis. We have to make sure that we do two things: one, that we give the fascist movement no opportunity to grow, which means confronting it every time we've got the opportunity to do it; and two, we ultimately have to get rid of capitalism because fascism is a, a product of capitalism, and that means looking to the power of the working class to overthrow capitalism and establish a completely different kind of society with a kind of disgusting things that happened via the fascist states uh, is never allowed to uh, uh, you know, happen again anywhere in the world.